0: Hello, my fellow divers, and welcome back to another episode of Crime Dive, where we take a deep dive into crime. I'm your host, Lexi. Thank you so much for coming back and listening to another episode with us. If you're new, welcome to the water. We're so happy to have you. If you're returning, welcome back to the water, and thank you so much for coming back and taking another deep dive with us into crime. So today, we're going to be talking about the case of Javon Belcher. If you don't know who that is, he was a former NFL player for the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm surprised that This story is not... As well known, considering how tragic it was. Just want you guys to buckle in. Please be sure to follow me on Instagram as well as TikTok. You can find the links to my profiles in the episode description as well as using our support link to help us out over here at Crime Dive. I've also included the episode timestamps in the episode description in case you guys want to skip around as much as you want. Again, thank you so much for listening as we take this deep dive into crime. So, with that being said, let's just get right into the case. Javon Henry Allen Belcher was born on July 24th, 1987 in West Babylon, New York. His parents' names were John Belcher and Cheryl Shepard, and Javon had three older sisters. He was probably very taken care of having three older sisters, being the youngest boy. Now, Javon's dad wasn't really involved in his life, so Cheryl had to raise her four kids by herself. This really inspired Javon to be an ambitious and hardworking man because it's very hard for a mother to raise four kids as a single mom. This made Javon much closer to his mother and his sisters. He was really big on family and his mother really taught him that. Javon attended West Babylon High School where he played football and wrestling and he was really, really good. He was also the team captain. I mean, you have to be pretty good to be the team captain. He also had a spotless track record. He was very well behaved. He really didn't get in much trouble as a student. He was very focused on football. In 2005, Javon attended the University of Maine where he played as a linebacker and a defensive end. He was so good that he made the first team All-American in the NCAA's football championship subdivision. And as far as partying goes, he was a pretty normal kid when it came to partying. I mean, most college kids party. It was nothing crazy. He would just, you know, go out, drink, pretty normal. But as college went on, Javon actually started to drink and party less. He just wanted to focus on football. He wasn't concerned about drinking and going out. He really, really wanted to make it into the NFL. And he knew the way to do that was to be completely focused. Javon, being the family person that he was when it came to his mother and his sisters, he had a soft spot for children. And during his time at the University of Maine, he participated in the Big Brothers Big Sisters program in order to mentor young children. Eventually, he graduated with a degree in child development and family relations. Finally, Javon's NFL dreams came true, and in 2009, he signed with the Kansas City Chiefs as an undrafted free agent. He played as a linebacker while he was with them, and what was really important to him was being philanthropic. I mean, he would visit the troops that were in Kansas City. He participated in NFL's Play 60 and did so by visiting Oak Grove Elementary School, in Kansas City in order to preach how important it is to be healthy. And the NFL Play 60 program is just an NFL campaign that was aimed at promoting the health and wellness of youth. But being in the NFL is... Difficult as you can imagine. I mean, they don't pay you that much money for no reason. So there was a lot of pressure on Javon to succeed. And he really didn't feel very secure with his position on the team. I guess that's just kind of how the NFL is. Everybody was just constantly having their position threatened because other players were being brought in. There's always somebody ready to take your place no matter what. So you have to be on your A game. And this really got to Javon. It was very hard for him to deal with because he had a degree, which was very good, but football was his passion. This is all he knew and this was his livelihood. This was how he made a living. Nonetheless, Javon did everything he could to secure a spot on the team. He loved football and he really just wanted to do well. And his teammates described him as being very aggressive and very relentless on the field. He just didn't give a damn. You were going down. But off the field, he was very soft-spoken, quiet, humble, even-tempered, stayed in his own lane, minded his business. He was just a very chill guy. His teammates said that it really took a lot to get Javon mad, but it was possible. And one of the ways that it was possible to make Javon mad was women. Javon had a temper when it came to women. At one point in college, he had a girlfriend named Jessica Higgins and they got in an argument that was so bad Javon punched a glass panel and he had to get stitches in his thumb. Now, one of his teammates said that his relationship with Jessica wasn't really that volatile. They had regular couple fights but he never saw anything too serious and as far as he knew this was the worst it had ever gotten. I'm sure if something did happen maybe they just didn't see it. It was kind of known that Javon didn't usually have successful relationships with women. He still was looking for love and he was open to it and that's when he meets who would later become his future girlfriend. In 2010 Javon was 23 years old and he was introduced to 20 year old Cassandra Perkins. They were introduced by another fellow football player that was married to Cassandra's cousin. Cassandra Perkins was born on October 14th, 1990 in Austin, Texas. Her parents' names were Becky Gonzalez and Daryl Perkins and she had one brother and one sister. People describe Cassandra as being very perky, optimistic, and just overall well-liked. At the time she met Javon, she was working at a recreation center and she too loved kids. She loved being around them. She even wanted to be a teacher one day, which I think is so special and so important. So once Cassandra and Javon met, they decided that You know, they wanted to see if they could make this happen. So Cassandra moved to Kansas City to be with Javon and start a relationship. They rented a two-bedroom suite in Independence, Missouri. People around them described their relationship as being kind of hot and cold. They were getting along one minute, the next minute they were breaking up. And they did break up briefly in 2011, but they reconciled very soon after. But their relationship would continue to just kind of go up and down. But everybody said for the most part that they seemed pretty happy majority of the time. They loved each other and Javon said that he was going to marry her one day. I mean, there was real love there according to the people around them. Cassandra found out in December of 2011 that she was pregnant with her and Javon's first child and they were both so happy. Javon was very happy because his father wasn't really there for him growing up and he couldn't wait to give his child what his father didn't give him. Now with Javon's family getting ready to expand, it's very important that he keeps them safe. One of the ways that a lot of NFL players did what they could to protect and defend their homes was by owning and carrying a gun. This was very common amongst the league, and this had a lot to do with the death of Sean Taylor. Now, Sean Taylor was an NFL football player who played for, at the time, the Washington Redskins, now known as the Washington Commanders, and he was murdered in his home in 2007 during an armed robbery. Sean was very known in his community. A lot of people knew where house was. And unfortunately, this made him a target and resulted in him being killed. So a lot of NFL players were very weary about their family and protecting their home. So it was very common to own a gun. And Javon and Cassandra agreed that they really wanted to own guns for their safety, especially now that they had a daughter on the way. In total, they owned eight guns and they would oftentimes go to shooting ranges for target practice in order to prepare themselves for anything. People would go to their house and they said that they would just have guns left out in the open. One of them went over to hang out with Javon and Cassandra and they literally just had a gun chilling on the kitchen table, like it was nothing. And it was loaded, which is very irresponsible and very reckless, I just wanna say for you all out there. This is not the way to safely own guns. They should be in a lockbox when they're not being used. A lot of people who knew Javon thought it was interesting that he owned this many guns and was very reckless about them because he actually used to be an active member of the Male Athletes Against Violence organization, which was basically promoted athletes speaking out against abuse as well as abusive acts. March 22nd, 2012, Javon signed another contract with the Kansas City Chiefs. And this was a really good way for him to feel more job security. The fact that he was asked to come back essentially. He and Cassandra decided to move to a rented home in Fairway Hills, which was a much quieter area and it had a lot more space for their soon to be growing family. So it seems like Javon kinda has everything going for him right now. I mean, he just moved into a home, he has a baby on the way. He and Cassandra seemed to be getting along for the most part, and he just signed another contract with his team, so things really do seem to be looking up. But for some reason, Javon just wasn't happy. He just seemed very unfulfilled and unsatisfied with his life, which was interesting given how great things appeared to be going. People around Javon said that he started drinking more, he started staying out late with his teammates partying. This was something that he avoided when he wanted to focus on football. So that that he was doing this more it almost seems like he's trying to distract himself from football and now it was reported that Javon had also started using prescription pills at this time but I don't know if that can be confirmed but this is what was said by his teammates and because of Javon's behavior he and Cassandra started arguing way more they argued over money they argued over the fact that Javon was staying out drinking Cassandra just wanted him to be home with her I mean she was pregnant she needed him and she felt like she was kind of losing him a little bit but all of this drama was going to have to be put aside because on September 11th, 2012, Javon and Cassandra welcomed their daughter, Zoe, and she was absolutely adorable. She was so cute. Javon and Cassandra were just over the moon happy to have their daughter. They couldn't wait to be parents and start their lives together as a family. But unfortunately, Zoe being born, as much joy as this should have brought and translated over into Cassandra and Javon's struggling relationship, it didn't. Their relationship just got worse and worse worse. They were still arguing over money and this had a lot to do with the fact that Cassandra had actually quit her job because she wanted to be a stay-at-home mom and I guess she figured Javon made enough money to support everyone, which I'm sure he probably did, and she just wanted to be home with her daughter. But Javon wanted her to get a job. He didn't want her to be staying at home. He also felt like Cassandra was spending way too much money and not doing enough to help around the house. Cassandra was just sick and tired of Javon always coming at her for spending half and pressuring her to get a job after she just had a baby. And they decided to break up. Cassandra moved in with her cousin Whitney and her cousin Whitney was actually married to one of Javon's teammates, another Kansas City chief running back Jamal Charles. Eventually Cassandra moved back home to Texas to stay with her family for a little bit while she figured out what she was gonna do about her and Javon's relationship. But of course, Cassandra and Javon reconciled just two weeks later. They decided to work things out for their family. So now that baby Zoe's here, Javon and Cassandra are new parents piled on top of Javon's career as well as he and Cassandra's relationship issues. So Javon's mother, Cheryl, decides to move from their hometown in West Babylon, New York, to Kansas City in order to help Javon and Cassandra with Zoe. And honestly, I think that's great that she was able to go out there and just pretty much drop everything to help them in their time of need. I mean, that's a mother right there. But with all of this extra help, Javon still continued to have struggles mentally. For one, the Chiefs started to lose a lot and Javon felt like he was being blamed for these losses. He kind of felt like he was the scapegoat and that pressure that he was feeling in the beginning that probably never went away just continued to get worse and worse. Javon's teammates said that around this time he was really starting to act different. He would lose his train of thought right in the of talking and just go completely blank, he would have random fits of anger out of nowhere, which was just not Javon. He was very even-tempered, as I described earlier, so seeing him get upset and mad, his teammates were just very shocked because it usually took a lot to get him mad. All of these traits that he was starting to display just made his relationship with Cassandra more and more strained, but things would only get worse. On Friday, November 30th, Cassandra returned to her and Javon's home around 1 a.m. after she had attended a trace songs concert and Javon was very upset that she came home as late as she did. So to get back at her, Javon decided to go out upon her return. Javon went to the Power and Light District, which is a strip of bars in Kansas City, but he didn't go with his teammates. He didn't go by himself. No. Javon went out with another Woman, And this woman was 25-year-old Brittany Glass. Now you may be wondering, who is this girl? Where did this girl come from? Well, Javon had been seeing Brittany since March. It's November. That's right, Javon had a secret girlfriend while he was still with Cassandra. Yes, he and Cassandra had their ups and downs, but they only officially broke up twice, but most of the time, they were together. Those breakups never ended up lasting. The majority of that year, they were together. So, jumping back to the night of November 30th, Javon is out with Britney when they somehow end up losing each other in the crowd. When Javon couldn't find Britney, he just decided to return to her apartment and see if she was there but she wasn't so Javon parked outside in his black Bentley and waited for her to come home while he was waiting for her he fell asleep in his car and it was a little before 3 a.m. eventually police were called after reports of a suspicious car being parked outside of an apartment complex so the police arrive and they approach Javon's car they knock on the glass to wake him up and Javon says that he was locked out of his girlfriend's apartment and was waiting for her to come home and police said well maybe you should go inside and see if she's there because maybe she could have came while he was sleep. So Javon walks up to the apartment building and tries to get inside. And a neighbor actually recognized him and buzzed him into the building. So this lets you know that Javon had been over there on multiple occasions. So he was involved with this woman for a minute. Javon stayed in the building for about three and a half hours before leaving around 6 30 a.m. Now there were reports that he never ended up getting into Brittany's apartment. So he ended up sleeping on someone else's couch for a couple hours. I'm not sure if that's true, but the Those are the reports that I've read. But eventually, he left around 6.30 in the morning to return back to his home that he shared with Cassandra. Now, I do wanna give a trigger warning. We are going to be speaking about homicide and suicide. If these are not topics that you're comfortable hearing, I'm going to leave a timestamp in the description for you to skip ahead to. Now, on the early morning of December 1st, Cassandra and Javon's mother, Cheryl, were at the home that Cassandra and Javon shared with one another. And they were home with baby Zoe, who at this point was two months old. So after Javon left Britney's apartment building around 6.30 in the morning, he returned to his home around 7 a.m. And Cassandra was pissed. Could you imagine if your man went out around 1, 2 in the morning and didn't come home till 7 a.m.? Uh Uh-uh, no. So they were mad. They were arguing. It got very, very heated. All of a sudden, around 7.50 a.m., Javon took one of the eight handguns that he and Cassandra owned and shot Cassandra 10 times in their master bedroom. Cassandra was hit in the neck, chest, abdomen, hip, back, leg, and hand. Javon then kissed her on the head and apologized for what he had just done. And his mother, Cheryl, and their daughter, Zoe, were just in the next room and heard everything. Cheryl was just absolutely horrified. Javon then went out of he and Cassandra's bedroom and entered the room that Cheryl and Zoe were in, and he kissed their two-month-old daughter on the head and left the home. It was at this moment, as soon as Javon left, that Cheryl called 911, and we're gonna play that call for you here. Are you, oh with, my- the, are you with the patient now? I oh lost yes, the baby's crying the Okay, Please a- a here. Is, okay, we're on the way. We've been on the way the whole time. How old is the patient? Twenty-two. A male or female? Female. And uh, is he breathing? She's yeah. still breathing, but barely. Please hurry. I don't okay. know how many times he shot her. They were arguing. Oh. Okay, so she's been shot. No. Yes. Okay, right now she awake? Oh, yes, sit with me. The ambulance is on the way. You hear me? You hear me? Cassandra! Hi. Me. Okay, listen, ma'am. Is she awake? She's barely. She's just barely Does yeah, she hear what you're saying? Yes, yeah, she's living when I talk to her. Okay. Oh, God. Is she bleeding? Yes, she, she is. is. Where is she bleeding from? I can't tell in, in the, the back, it looks like. Okay, well, you don't want... Go ahead. Go ahead, Kitty. Where is your son at? He left. Huh? Look, well, please, just get the family up here, please. We're on the way. Where's your son at? Up. He left. He left? Yes. Okay. They were arguing and each other. Yes, they was arguing. I honestly can't imagine what Cheryl was feeling at that time. Just the conflict and emotions of wanting your son to be okay and not wanting to you know have to call 911 on him, I guess. But at the same time, knowing that he just did something absolutely horrible and you have to save the mother of your granddaughter at this point to know that her son was the one who did that to her daughter-in-law, that she had to sit there and watch her lay dying is just traumatizing, absolutely traumatizing. So the officers arrived to the home and Cassandra was taken to a nearby hospital where she was pronounced dead shortly after. And she was only 22 years. Years old. The fact that she was a mother and her daughter was in the other room when she was killed by her father, it's just unfathomable, an unfathomable loss. And she had so much life left to live at only 22. She'll never get to see her daughter grow up. She'll never get to know Zoe. It's just horrible and the fact that her life was cut short by someone that she loved and trusted. I'm sure Cassandra never thought that Javon would do something like that. I don't think anyone thought that given the way he was described by people who knew him. So Cheryl begins to speak to the officers and give them a little bit more backstory on what happened and what led up to this horrible act and she told the police that she was scared Javon was going to commit suicide. Cheryl happened to overhear the police radio say that there was an armed person at the Arrowhead Stadium and the Arrowhead Stadium was the chief's practice facility. And the officers quickly turned their radios off before anything else was said because they didn't want to scare Cheryl. But by that point, she had already heard what was being said. Around 8 a.m., Javon headed to the Arrowhead Stadium with a handgun. And it was a different gun than the one he used to kill Cassandra. On his way into the stadium, he ran into Chiefs General Manager, Scott Pioli, and he confessed to him that he had shot his girlfriend and that he wasn't going to jail. He told Scott to tell the Chiefs owner, Clark Hunt, to take care of his daughter. Javon then asked for his head coach, Romeo Crennel and the defensive coordinator, Gary Gibbs. And Scott said, sure, and he brought them outside. Once they came outside, Javon thanked them for everything they've ever done for him. And he suddenly pulled out a gun. As he pulled out the gun, he said, I did it, I killed her, I gotta go, can't be here, and take care of my daughter. Scott Pioli and head coach Romeo Crennel begged him to put the gun down, but Javon refused. At this point, his mind was made up. Then he turned and walked away from his coaches, but he was still in sight of them. And all of a sudden, police sirens were being heard in the background because remember that call that was dispatched, that there was an armed person at the stadium? The police were showing up to apprehend this person. And as Javon hears the police sirens in the background, he kneels beside a vehicle when his head coach reportedly yells, you're taking the easy way out. But Javon just ignored him and he made the sign of the cross put the gun to his head and pulled the trigger right in front of his coaches. Eventually, Javon was transported to a nearby hospital where he was pronounced dead at only 25 years old. And it was later found that his blood alcohol content was double the legal limit, indicating that he was very intoxicated. Cheryl was later brought to the police station and she left baby Zoe with a trusted neighbor and it was there that she was told that Javon was dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head and Cheryl feared that he was going to do this. She had a feeling that this was what was going to happen but this doesn't take away the shock and she was just horrified that she lost her son and his girlfriend, the mother of her granddaughter, just within an hour of each other and she was left with baby Zoe and just didn't know what to do. She was lost. Everybody who knew Javon was shocked. I mean, as I've said, he just wasn't that kind of guy. He was the last person that any of them would expect to do something like this. He was described by everybody as being a great guy, a great friend. He was so chill. So they were just completely dumbfounded. Cassandra's funeral was held in Austin, Texas, where she grew up at the Ridgeview Family Fellowship Church just five days after she was murdered. Her family and friends were just devastated. No one expected this to happen. Cassandra's mother, Becky Gonzalez, spoke out and later said about Cassandra, she was precious to us and a friend to everyone and it's changed us forever. I see my daughter in Zoe's eyes and that brings me joy and I know that she's continuing on through her daughter. I think that's beautiful. Beautiful. The fact that she's able to look at Zoe and say that I know my daughter's spirit is in her and she still lives on through her. And I know that's probably something that brings the family solace and comfort in this horrible time. Javon's memorial service was held the following day at Landmark International Deliverance and Worship Center in Kansas City. And Scott Pioli, the chief's general manager that he ran into on his way into the stadium, spoke at the service. So police launched an investigation in this murder-suicide and they found a bullet hole in the floor under Cassandra's body. Now, if you remember in the 911 call, Cheryl said that she saw blood coming out of Cassandra's back. So this indicates that Cassandra was on the floor when she was shot, Cheryl said she heard a thud after a few gunshots, indicating that Cassandra most likely fell on the ground and Javon continued to shoot her. Javon had sent text messages to his secret girlfriend, Brittany, months before this tragedy. And he said to Brittany through these text messages that Cassandra was threatening to take his money and their daughter, Zoe, and she was going to leave him. He then said that he would shoot Cassandra if she, quote, didn't leave him alone. Brittany said she thought he was just joking. She didn't think that he was really going to do anything. I mean, given the type of guy he was, again, I think this was really the last thing that she expected to happen. Brittany later came out and cleared up some rumors regarding her and Javon's relationship, and she claims that they were never boyfriend and girlfriend, and that they were just casually seeing each other. So I noted earlier how teammates were reporting that Javon was acting different in the months leading up to this tragedy. They said that Javon would lose his train of thought, he He would go blank right in the middle of talking and he would just have random fits of anger. And this was very out of character for him. A lot of these are symptoms that can be attributed to what's known as chronic traumatic encephalopathy otherwise known as CTE. So let's jump back to 2009, when Javon was drafted to the NFL. So on November 8th, 2009, Javon suffered his first head injury in a game against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And because of this, he was listed as limited in practice in order to recover. But he played the following Sunday, despite being listed as limited and questionable. He also suffered multiple concussions throughout his career, but he just continued to play. And playing while hurt was and still is a huge part of the NFL culture. People don't want to take a week off. They don't wanna take time away because they're scared that they're gonna be forgotten. They don't wanna lose their position in the team, especially if you're a first string, which means you're a starter. So Javon was not going to sit out. He didn't wanna sit out and he wasn't made to sit out because Sans stands to reason a lot of the time Coaches want their best players up front and they're like, tape it up, give them a shot, keep it moving, but you're not really giving your body the chance to recover so you can come back 100%. And as you continue to have these head injuries that you're not recovering from, it's only gonna get worse. Cheryl, Javon's mother, ended up filing a wrongful death suit against the Kansas City Chiefs a year after the murder-suicide took place. She felt like the team failed to keep Javon safe because he had repeated head trauma and they just let him keep playing. They didn't make him sit out and fully recover, they just let him continue to play and injure himself more. And she felt like this was a direct cause to Javon committing these acts. But in order for this lawsuit to stick, she had to have proof that Javon had CTE. So she had his body exhumed and tests were done on his brain to determine if it was present. And the tau protein was found to be present in Javon's brain, which is a sign of CTE. Now I mentioned this a lot in my Chris Benoit episode. These cases are honestly almost parallel to me. Repeated blows to the head, not recovering, and then a murder suicide—a horror tragedy happens. And later on, you know, CTE is present in the brain. And this is something that honestly is just so preventable, in my opinion, just allowing athletes the proper time to heal before they go back out there or just being safer altogether. It's sad that this is what has to happen for people to talk about the risks of CTE and what can happen if it's not detected or tested or properly measured. Now, as far as the outcome of this lawsuit, Cheryl was seeking $15,000 in damages from the Kansas City Chiefs. And as far as I know, know it was settled for some reason it's very hard to find but I did see that this is most likely settled given the fact that she did ask for such a low amount and I think that the chiefs just wanted this to go away because it's not good press for them now there's another issue that has to be settled and that is who will get baby Zoe because remember at this time she was only two months old and both of her parents were gone so in the direct aftermath of this tragedy Cheryl was awarded temporary custody until the courts could figure out what they were gonna do. But Cassandra's family felt like they should have custody of Zoe. Before Cassandra's funeral, Cassandra's family asked Cheryl if she could have Zoe come to Texas to attend her mother's funeral. And Cheryl agreed. She said, absolutely. She hands baby Zoe over to Cassandra's family. But once Cassandra's family gets Zoe and they're back in Texas, they cut all contact with Cheryl and refused to give Zoe back, which I'm pretty sure is illegal. But their lawyers argue that Cheryl handed Zoe over willingly, that they didn't take her. So eventually the two families decide to go to court and fight for custody of Zoe. And a Jackson County court awarded custody and guardianship to Cassandra's cousin, Sophie Perkins. The court said that both sides of the family were competent to be guardians, but they felt that Sophie was the best choice and that she had a little bit more stability. And because Zoe was Javon's only child, she is the sole heir to his estate. Now Zoe is 10 years old and she's doing very well as well as she can be considering the fact that both of her parents are gone. And honestly, she to me is one of the biggest victims in this case. She lost both of her parents on the same day and one was responsible for the other's death. And now she has to grow up without them and they'll really never know who she was and she'll never know who they were. I mean, she was only two months old at the time, so she won't even remember her parents and it's going to be very hard for her family to have to tell her one day what happened to them if they haven't already. And I can only imagine how that conversation went or will go in the future. Javon, even though he is responsible for this, he faces the same fate. I mean, Zoe's never going to get to know her father. She's not going to get to know who he was and how much he loved her. I think a lot of times with cases like this, people are very conflicted on how they should feel about the person who committed these acts because yes he did something horrible he did something very wrong you love the person you just hate what they did and you kind of don't really know how to feel about them or how to look at them and what their legacy looks like because of what they did and you know and I think a lot of people who knew Javon and were very close to him you know they kind of look at it as you know he had CTE he was struggling he couldn't control it he couldn't control what he did but at the same time he could if you feel like you're having those issues you need to go get help or you need to stop playing football and I understand that that can be a hard decision to make given the fact that it was his livelihood and it was his life but some action has to be taken before it gets to this point otherwise this is what can happen acting too late or not acting at all can result in something tragic happening the people still talk about how much they loved Javon and they still stand by he was a great guy he just did something horrible but I really want to know what you guys think so please feel free to leave some ratings leave some comments. With that, we're gonna go ahead and wrap up this case. Thank you so much for listening and I hope to see you in the water soon.